Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. Oh, and I just hit this. Uh, yeah, it's already recording. It's already recording. Oh, it already is. You can, you can just put it in your back, uh, pocket. It'll be fine. Oh, really? And then I just lean into people. Good thing I showered this morning. <laughs> Sorry, X that out, X that out, take two. But if you want to hear them, you can be closer to them. I can be. Oh, come on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm a little afraid. <laughs> now I'm a little scared. Thank you for coming here. This is the last session for the day. And this is one housekeeping announcement. We will assemble at 6 o'clock at the Baron exit, where uh, you will drink to be served, and we will leave for the parade at 30 o'clock. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for joining us. How many of you need an extra shot of coffee right now? Should we get the coffee service in? I've had about 12 cups today, so I'll be up at 2 in the morning in case anyone has any questions. <laughs> now before we get to our panel, I'm going to start off with a question. Because again, if you sat in the main session, you know I like to be interactive on all of this and not have people just sort of listen. So one of the things that stood out to me about supplier screening and risk management is that 80% of companies will screen their employees, but only 20% will screen their suppliers. So first of all, how many of you in this room are surprised by that? Okay, wait a second. Am I the only one? We're in procurement. We're not surprised. <laughs> okay. So let, okay, can we all agree that supplier screening and managing risk is important? Yes. So that's unanimous, right? So can someone explain to me, because I've had a few blows to the head in my life and I may be slow on the pickup, why is that? You have the answer right there. I could see you were eager. Why? 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 They just don't think about it. You know, it's just like one of those things like when you need SRM is when you, something goes wrong. And you decide, why didn't we have this before? Right? So, so isn't that like kind of buying an umbrella after it starts after raining? After it starts raining, exactly. Okay, but is that your choice? Okay, so if it isn't your choice, whose choice is it? Probably somebody on the board who heard that it was a good idea to have a supplier risk management program. So in other words, if I'm not mistaken, it has to be someone higher up who says, we better do this, otherwise it's not going to get done. I mean, is that a fair statement? Or, you, know, you don't agree with that right off the bat, do you? I do agree. I think it's, uh, it needs probably to come from the top. Come from the top. So in essence, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, many times we have people in the business or departments that have gone out and bought something that you have to pay for that, that procurement didn't even get the opportunity to screen the supplier because they've already done something. So in other words, it's after the fact after again. After the fact, for sure. Okay, so, and so where's the breakdown, though? Where does that breakdown occur? Uh, I guess I would say in policies or procedures. Policies and procedures, which come from the top. Yes. Is that what we're saying at all? So basically, everyone in this room, to be safe, says we should have supplier screening, we should be mitigating risk, but that's not my area. I'm just going to go with the flow. Is that is that a safe statement to say? Go ahead. Usually, they're really into it until it's their like chosen supplier that needs to be evaluated and. Chosen supplier. Hmm. Oh, in so other words, every different firm has their own little favorite suppliers. Wait a second. Now we talked yesterday, Bill. And I'm going to start with you. Okay. And we also talked a little bit. Part of it is 
is there's the complexity right. and the lack of understanding. But I had heard the other day is that some people don't want to know what's behind the curtain. Sometimes. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. Because it goes in line with this. All right. Let me ask you this. How many people have a risk management program? Okay. How many people go beyond tier one? There you go. One. One of the group. Yeah, I mean, well, so what, what happens is we really don't have the time, the energy, the money, the resources to go beyond tier one but uh, unless something happens. Uh, so I was in a, a company that does uh, electronics. And when they did go beyond tier one, what they found is in tier three, one supplier made all the components from everybody, for everybody in the industry. How comfortable are you with that from a risk standpoint? So I, I think you know, some, sometimes you have to think about risk. How many people have a predictive model? How many people can predict which client, which of the customer? Yeah. I can tell you, I, I worked in a biotech company, and they have a spend of $250 million, generating $7 billion in profit with, uh, with um, uh, a, a drug that prolongs people's lives if they have cancer. So what do you think management's concern is? No, they don't care if 250 goes to 500 you know, million. They don't, they don't care. They want to protect that $7 billion profit plan. So they, they did a complete survey of the, of the workforce, of the supply chain, and they tried to identify which suppliers are going to pop out. They had 50 suppliers that were single source, single plant, single technology, and uh, that was the problem. So I don't want to know about it is what you're saying. Well, you do want to know because you want to try and get in there and fix it. Oh, okay, but this leads to that question, though, because most people don't really go beyond the first-level suppliers. We had a conversation yesterday, and your organization, financial institution, has gone ahead of the curve despite everyone else sort of lagging behind. And if I'm not mistaken, you told me a lot of the problem is, is that the legislative line of enforcement is constantly being pushed out yes. to give extra, let's say, rope, room, whatever you want to call. Why did your organization decide to be proactive and get ahead of the curve on this? Well, the financial institute, there were a couple of uh, banks that were fined heavily beyond $8 billion. So that was one of the things that we made probably $2.7 billion a year. So paying $8 billion in fines will break the, the, the bank, or that is net profit that I'm making, of course. But there are so, so many things that they look at and it goes to, into compliance. And there is compliance, there is risk, and multiple departments, there's an addition to, to the problem that you have multiple departments that are responsible for one thing, which is risk mitigation. You have the risk department, you have the compliance, and you have the auditors, of which you have multiple others being a semi-government, we have more than, more than one. So we have to step forward to be compliant with all the regulatories that are in the market. And in certain areas, they have overdone it, which had a negative effect on the revenue. So that was that was the, 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 the other the other thing as well. So how do you do it? How do you plan for it? How do you step forward? And how do you mitigate your risk is, is part of it. The other part is that some of the legislation is being pushed out and people are taking it leniently, saying that the legislators, they do not have a definite due date for that requirement. So it gets pushed out and pushed out and people get comfortable. Our companies get comfortable that we have to use this money for other areas, different, uh, um, probably more money-making uh, places. Like one of, one, of the, one of the main things was insurance. Insurance, you pay small amounts, you make a ton of money, especially in, in loans and, and, and financial institutes. They pay less than a quarter of what they make. So, the, 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 the profit is fourfold of what they're paying. So are they worried about who they, who they look at? Of course, we went in and we defined it before it was completely out of procurement. Then we brought the entire insurance policy into procurement, saying that we have to look forward to see there are insurers and there are even reinsurers. And the companies that are, that, that, that are holding the, the assets. Uh, a classic example was that a company just made an insurance for uh, a, car, a car insurance, but this car went into a tram or a, a metro uh, wagon or something like that, which the insurance company got bankrupt because of a car insurance. 
Okay, so wait, I've got to ask this, because two answers here, and then I'm going to go to you, Gerard, because you're in the unique position of being a former practitioner, Mm -hmm. and then on the other side now, a risk management service provider. It's either a matter of uh, an incident happening or something happening as a trigger, or it's a matter of, well, let's see, uh, my risk is $250 million, but my gain is $7 billion. So it's a matter of acceptable risk and cost. Let me ask you out there, how many of you understand what's said? How many of you, what, if I were to ask you to classify in your organization, where do you fall in in these categories? Is it that your organization has risk and they're saying it's acceptable because whatever financial exposure we have, uh, we can bear it because the return is good, or well, we're just waiting for a crisis to happen and then we're going to step into it. What do you think? You know, you've got a deep thought there. <laughs> no, I think a lot of organizations wait and see what happens. They, they look at a few things. They look at, you know, natural disasters. They look at uh, some of the things and Tier 1. But Tier 1 isn't often where the danger is. It's often in the Tier 2 and Tier 3. And that's the, the surprise that you get. And then you're, you say, uh-oh, now what do I do? Okay, wait, i got to ask this. Tier 1 is where there's less danger. But if you're not monitoring risk, and I'll forward this here, and I'll go to you, Gerard, if you're not monitoring risk with your Tier 1, somebody said to me earlier today, nothing stays the same. Everything's changed. Change is inevitable. Is that a fair statement? If you don't continue to monitor your Tier 1 suppliers, it's possible that circumstances could change, couldn't it? Well, yeah, by way of, of reference here, I, I was at Northrop's uh, corporate headquarters, so I was trying to centralize indirect spend, so I sat where you spent, uh, sat. Uh, 20 years ago, we would collect a certificate of insurance, we'd collect check, you know, collect the tax documents check, uh, pull a DMB check, and then we say, okay, the file's complete, and off you go. Here's the reality of it. In today's environment, 90-plus percent of every one of your companies are not insured by the, 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 what the contract has been signed. If you actually look at the supplier's coverages, over 90% of the COIs failed today. Every company we implement around the world. And so there's where the liability rests because that now falls under your company. But your procurement, you're supposed to be that first line of defense. And so by evolution, if I can take a step back here for a second, there's two different ways of looking at, at supplier screening and just in general. One is this idea of data sources and the other one is service companies. So there's two different ways of doing it. So when you look at Dun & Bradstreet or Moody's or Experian, those are data sources. And then there's other companies that are service companies, perhaps managing certificates of insurance or managing specific areas, OFAC, et cetera. Earlier point you made, years ago, 20 years ago, I didn't have to worry about OFAC. I didn't have to worry about you know, the UK any bribery ads, the big problem right now in England, uh, dealing with REACH, Rojas, Conflict Minerals, Cyber, all of these things you are responsible for whether you recognize it or not. Recent study done by Forrester said 90% of CPOs understand they are liable for those responsibilities, whether they like it or not, which then it falls on your shoulders. So by way of looking at supplier screening, I'm, and I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but there's really three phases. If you look at supplier screening and risk mitigation, there was three phases over the last 20 years. The first one was basically where you were uh, self-managing it. It was a moment in time. You pull the DMB report, you collect the documents, et cetera, and you basically check it all off. But understand, that was a static moment. That was just a moment in time. And in the case of DMB, it's primarily self-reported information. So you end up with an even worse situation because now you're – Basically asking the supplier, are you financially stable? They say, yes, DMB is reporting as a fact. No one's adjudicating it. Adjudicating means verifying it. There's no way of doing it unless you are a service. None of the data sources you're using today adjudicate. None of them. It just doesn't exist. So where we started with this manual program 20 years ago, which I was doing, now we evolved to the next level where we start contracting with these individual companies, whether it be DMB, whether it be a COI management company, whether it be Moody's, Adverse Media, whatever we were doing, we were trying to get the information. But again, we ended up in a static moment in time. We get the information, we write the contract, okay, yes, yes, yes. We collect the COI, but the funny part is if I asked you, what does additional insured mean and what wording has to be on the certificate of insurance to protect your company? Probably no one in this room would know because we're not insurance experts. And yet you're taking the liability on for that. So now we move fast forward 20 years to today's world. Now we have intelligent aggregation service, meaning we're taking multiple data sources, aggregating the information, and now we're actually evolving to a point 
where like a company like ours, we actually are integrated with Zykus and GEP and Ariba. We're the largest in the world that does this. But we actually, the, the supplier onboards on the Zykus platform. The data is pushed via an API into our platform. We do the screen of the company and push the results back in real time. We're pushing their financials and other information in real time into the Zykus platform for you to see it. But here's the key. Six months ago, we figured out how to do continuous monitoring. Not only are you legally, every company in here that's an American company is required to check the OFAC list. It's a requirement under the Patriot Act. So every supplier you pay, you're supposed to be checking the OFAC list. Most companies say we didn't know that. Well, the fines are in the hundreds of millions of dollars when you don't do this. It can be 10 million, it can be 50 million. So the idea would be you're supposed to check every supplier. Again, it falls on your shoulders. You're supposed to know this. So what we've done is we've now figured out a way to do continuous monitoring. It's no longer a moment in time. Now we're able to actually push results, push a flag into the Zyka system and say, look at this supplier before you push another PO or contract to them because there's a liability attached to it now. So you see the difference? It's where you have to deal with things I didn't have to deal with 20 years ago. The, this, this process has evolved like we talked about ERP versus P2P systems. This is now the best practice on the globe. And so what you need to look at, and hopefully you'll get out of today, is three different perspectives on how to manage risk, but understand it is your responsibility at the end of the day. The trick now becomes, what's the best way to manage it? Who pays for it? Um, you know, how do you actually manage it? In our world, we have client-funded, we have supplier-funded models. Mm -hmm. But it's funny because in the past, we based everything we did on supplier-funded, so it cost you nothing. But the last three of the four contracts we signed, companies are saying, no, we want to pay for it, but it's still cheaper to outsource it to you than us trying to manage these certificates of insurance. Because think about the liability of every one of the contracts you wrote, and they required to have insurance, but if anyone looked at it, it's not there. They don't have the levels. Or they give you a compliance COI the day they signed the contract, but then 30 days later they, they either canceled it and didn't tell you, or they reduced the amounts to save money. Okay, I got to ask this question because that's a good point because I remember what Gardner had talked about. Remember their chart there? The technology is so far ahead, but the adoption is so low. So the capability is obviously there, but Bill, what, why wouldn't someone with that capability, are we still back to the same problem? I don't want to look behind the curtain. Like, I, I, I'm afraid to get a blood test done because I don't want to find out I have high cholesterol. So, uh, so here's a, here, I did a lot of research recently on, on human trafficking and, and forced labor in the supply chain. And what I came up with is most of us have it. It's in, in the coffee supply chain, it's in the fish supply chain, it's in the construction uh, supply chain, somewhere in the supply chain. Yet, all of our boards of directors have, have put us to put a, 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 web, uh, put a uh, statement on the website that we're corporate socially responsible and we're going to audit and we're going to teach the supply chain. How many people are doing it? Because we say we are. Okay, so I, I have to ask this and I'm going to go out to the audience here. Uh, if something goes wrong, see you're eager, just keep your hand down, I'll get right to you. No, I'm going to ask you, you know that anyway. It, let's say something goes wrong in your organization, and even though the capability is there, but there's the resistance to finding out who actually becomes accountable for that when it goes wrong. Sorry for I, my I think legal, right? I think for our, our organization, legal is going to be the one that's going to ultimately have to step in and help us, right? So they'll, they'll hold legal responsible. Potentially, yeah. I mean, for our company, because legal is the one who comes up with all the terms and conditions, right? So I think, um, I'm sure procurement will get in trouble. Everyone will get dragged into it, but legal ultimately is going to be the one that's going to have to bail us out, right? Okay, so I have to ask that. Legal, is that the same for everyone? Who, who, who's going to, who do, where does the buck stop? Something goes wrong. We have a crisis situation. Like, somebody's got to make the decision. You know, it's like, it, I think, or is it fair to say that we're in an area of maybe indeci indecision? Who had their hand up right here? Corporate risk. Corporate well, risk department. Corporate risk department. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate? Well, it's a department okay. at most of the large companies, but, yeah. They, they're, okay, but they're in charge of uh, making sure we don't have risk. Wait a second, though. I, see, this is where the disconnect comes into me, okay? Because everybody said we recognize risk, but we're not necessarily doing anything about it, yet you have a corporate risk department. Uh, are, are they on coffee break all the time? I'm sorry. I, I bet, like, I'm confused. Well, so one of the problems at our company is that if you talk to people at the management level, they'll say, well, shoot, we've never been sued. But if you talk to somebody in risk, they'll tell you, man, we get sued all the time because they, most companies are very shy about 
publicizing that information about lawsuits so they don't publicize it even among their own employees. So employees don't even know that there's been lawsuits for that kind of thing. Okay. Wait, sorry. Okay, I'll come up there. You know what? It's not as long a distance, so I got my workout counting for me, my steps. <laughs> you know, I was going to say that it's not just a matter, understand, it's not just insurance risk. There are a variety of risks we're talking about. The, the, the risk you're speaking of is specifically in the COI arena and, and lawsuits and losses as a result of it for a lot of reasons because your industry. But the fact is, at the end of the day, each one of you have liabilities, whether you're aware of it or not. Think about cyber. Think of your retail or whatever else, and you get hit with cyber. That, a lot of this stuff is preventable. Understand that. I got a call from a, uh, uh, a general contractor down in San Diego, and he said he builds houses, uh, this company. And he was saying that they cut a check for $650,000 to a subcontractor to do the electrical work. Within 48 hours, that electrical contractor filed bankruptcy. So he lost the money. To everyone's point here, then he called us. Now he's lost his money. Then he calls us to try and shore it up. I said, we could have seen that. We could have at least told you that was coming. You know, in other situations where, and I'll give you another example real quick. We got a call from a Fortune 100 company. They had 80,000 suppliers. In this case, they went to Dun & Bradstreet, and they said, can you check the OFAC list against our 80,000 suppliers? And so what DMB did, because they're a data source company, they can't adjudicate, they simply pinged the list and came back to the company and said, you have seven thousand, which is an enormous number, potential matches. Why'd that happen? Because they can't adjudicate it. They just hit the list, said, yeah, there's an ACME, so you must be working with ACME. Now think about that. You just fired ACME because DMB told you that they're on the OFAC list. It's not the right company. That's, again, this adjudication. You have to take it to the next level. So the risk is a variety of topics here. It's not singularly the financial aspect. Imagine if you're dealing with a sub that's working with everyone in the industry. Imagine if you're working with a sub that's uh, not a real company in Indonesia or in Ireland or somewhere around the world. Again, we're all global. We do this in 120 countries because we have to because companies are sourcing there. The idea would be how do you know that company's real in China? Okay, I got to ask this question, and then I'm going to go to you, Abdul Latif, because again, your organization. All of you are hearing this. Does this all sound reasonable to you? Does it make sense? How many of you in this room can then go back to the office on Wednesday and say, we're going to do this? <laughs> okay, wait a second. Wait, wait. <laughs> do you understand the point I'm, you understand the point I'm making? We just heard about cybersecurity, but how many people have a, co a contract clause that protects you against supplier cybersecurity when a Wayne voice goes in and destroys your system? Well, Abdul Latif, with your organization, it was a top-down decision, correct? It, would you have been able to do something if you didn't get that top-down buy-in? Uh, we could have, but uh, still, the buy-in has to come from the top. We have to explain it properly. We have to put the documentation. We have to put the reasoning behind it. And, of course, all the case studies to make sure that it's a risk that we are facing and we have to, we have to solve. Okay, I got to ask this. Hold that thought there. How many of you can leave and, come, and on Wednesday go and say, okay, I'm going to do a case study to manage risk better and have an influence on your senior management? Okay, wait, they've got <laughs> just, yeah, like this. You said yes? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and who else said yes? You said yes? Yes. Okay, but, oh, wait, there's a but. But, I mean, from what I understand, it's more than just whether there's a clause in the contract, right? I mean, if it's just a clause in the contract, fine, we're fine. But if we're not, if they're not actually compliant, it's still our fault. That's a much bigger issue. Okay, but if you can't influence, if you can't... Again, it's, it's financial stability. A lot of what we keep focusing on is contract. You know, they'll, uh, I'll hear, well, they may not have the insurance coverage, but we have this limitation of liability and all sorts of clauses in our contract, so we're protected. Says who? They do exactly what you say. They're Sam's Plumbing. They break a pipe in a wall. They destroy a building. And then they close their doors because they don't have the insurance. Or they do. The insurance company can't manage it. And they open up at Pete's Plumbing next week. And you actually hire Pete's Plumbing not knowing that it's the same darn company. We see it all the time. Or they show up on the OFAC list. Or they, they're just, there's a myriad of different things that happen that you cannot rely on this moment in time anymore. You cannot have this static moment and make a business decision. You can't contract, but if you don't manage that supplier on an ongoing basis, you are going to run into trouble. And ultimately, uh, I would suggest it's going to be procurement. I come out of procurement. I know where it's going to sit. You know it. It's going to be our jobs 
It's not going to be legal. It's not going to be financed. They're going to look to you and say, how did you let that happen? Because when it becomes a problem, it's usually catastrophic. Then it's extraordinarily expensive when something goes wrong. Okay, so, so wait, sorry, go ahead. You want to say something? Yeah, basically you have to look at the business continuity of the, of the companies that you're employing. If they, you don't look at their records, their past records, and how they, even some of the mergers that they, uh, they, they've been through, yep. um, how many bankruptcies did they have, or how, how many times they were close to bankruptcy, which all of this, mm -hmm. the, the, the information is available through the data, but from the service perspective, you have to find out where are they? And you have to build your risk on it. The company, Dunham Brass Street, may, may say, yeah, these are the facts. You build your own risk case. Yeah. Then we take it, of course, we build it, we write it down as procurement uh, professionals, and we have to push it to, to risk. And on, on, the, 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 on the second hand, we have also the business. Certain times, the risk departments may not write it off. But we will say that the risk is let's say yellow or in the gray area that you can probably work with this company to build you know to, to, to mitigate this risk or eliminate it from from that perspective looking at uh, the, the other point is looking at companies that they want to sell or they want to sell them, uh, them sell themselves or th they want your contract because they want to cash out in the market that they have uh, gone with a huge corporation their, their stock value went so high, they just sell it. So, and usually you don't get the same service afterwards. So all of these items you have to understand, and we see it as procurement professionals, we have to dictate it to the risk departments, and we have to tell them, is this a plausible risk, or is it imminent? Mm -hmm. And that's where all of us, we get together, we put our brains together to, to go forward. And it's not the cost. It's, you have to look at the value. You, look, you have to look at you know, what, what you need to do. And one of the things that if you have your, your company and you say, what am I going to do about it? Go back to the drawing board. Go back to uh, RFPs, RFQs, RFXs. Change your company. Look into who are, who are there in the market that can provide you the service that you want with lower risk. Don't hesitate. There are so many companies that you've been with for, for ages, but they're getting weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker, and they're, they, they're, they're breaking themselves because they got themselves into so much that they couldn't sustain or they couldn't build themselves. Yeah. Oh, somebody's at the back there. Yeah, I just, just have a question, is, um, and, and, and it will only cover a part of, uh, of the risk factors, but one of the issues that I always find is the secrecy around private companies in this country and the fact that uh, most companies will charge you a hefty amount to give you very little information, if no information at all, about private companies or with very little reliability. And then some other companies come to you and will charge you incredibly expensive amount that is very hard to justify saying that they have a better way than everybody else, but it's just too expensive to even try out uh, to give you information about private companies. So what's your answer to that? Oh. That's part of it. Yes, okay. Yes. okay. No, 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 no. But okay, again, let's go back if I can. I apologize. I'm going to keep going. Step back here for a second. There's two ways. There's companies that are in this industry, these service companies I talked about. Remember, data sources and service companies, totally different. Strongly suggest do not lean on data source companies. You're going to get into trouble if you do that. You're next on the line. You're not adjudicating. No, you're walking right into a mess. Service companies. There are service companies that do what you're suggesting. They charge both the client and they charge the supplier. And it's usually a fairly hefty amount. The trick becomes you've got to ask the right questions. In our case, what we've done is we work with Experian. Experian is a credit agency. Are they paying their bills? Just like any of you get an Experian credit report on yourself, that's what we're able to do for business around the globe, private and public. So we're able to get things that you can't get on your own. But more importantly, if you say, well, we want to collect audited financials, okay, that's a requirement. So there's different levels of financials. But it's possible to get a good enough screenshot in terms of experience information, whether they're paying their bills globally. And if not, now we can drill down to a next level. But that's a first level. And to your point about charging the supplier, there are companies that charge a supplier $1,000 to $5,000 to be in a sourcing database. Expensive. They do it for hopes of getting business. 
We, on the other hand, are on the other's perspective. We charge the clients nothing, and we charge your supplier two to three hundred dollars a year to manage them for the whole year, including the certificate of insurance, the financial stability, the international watch list. There's over fifteen hundred international watch lists now, including OFAC. And so they keep adding more and more. Last year it was twelve hundred. This year it's fifteen hundred. So now you're even in a worse position because you need to manage to that. You don't want to do business with anybody on any watch list around the globe because then you end up on the front page of the Wall Street Journal with a bad story, and it's your fault again somehow, even though you're supposed to know who the heck how would you. So we do charge suppliers in most cases. Sometimes clients pay, but the point is that again. Different through RFPs, you'll figure out there's different ways of doing this, and you decide what's right for your particular company. Whether the client pays, you pay. Whether you go with a company that charges both sides, whatever you want to do. Okay, question. And let's go with the the models that are available. Let's go with the fact that procurement will be left holding the bag. I don't know if that's the best term, but what's the best entry point? Everybody in here, if they look at this, because everyone's nodding their head. There's risk. We've got to deal with it. We're going to be held responsible for it. How do you start an organization to get that, that to that level of saying, here's how you handle it or champion it or build a business case for it? How do you do that? Well, what I've done with, with, a, with a biotech company, we actually started with an RFI on risk. And we identified all of the insurance risks as well as all the supply chain risks. And out of the 50 companies, four would not fill it out. So they went to the highest risk category, and they really they were an automatic. We're going to try and recertify. And there were things like people had a wood building with no sprinkler system, and the company put the sprinkler system in to manage it. So there's that, but there's also compliance auditing. So whether you use a third party or or whatever, you have to pick a certain number of suppliers to audit uh, annually, and. And a lot of uh, corporate social responsibility policies on the website say they do the audits. They train suppliers, they tell them what the policies are, and they audit. Okay, let me, that, that's sorry. That's a valid point. The, the annual, to, to re-evaluate once a year. Do not assume, you know there's an IRS regulation that says if you collect a W-9, it has to be the current version, has to be signed and dated. When I was in procurement, we'd get the W-9. They could be with us for five, ten years. I didn't care. I never looked at it. But it's an IRS regulation. So, again, the penalties went way up in 2013 for not doing it. Ten matching, you're supposed to be doing. Are you doing it? Again, you go, oh, finance is in charge of that. No, procurement is collecting the W-9. Finance is assuming you get the normal and current one. If you're not doing it, you're putting your company in danger because you're going to get penalized for not having the current W-9. There's so many things you guys have to deal with now that didn't exist 20 years ago but you can't ignore it. It exists. And when something goes wrong, it really goes wrong. So I have to ask you now, everybody in the room, how many of you feel that you have unknown or hidden risks that are substantial within your present supply chain? Okay, well, wait, okay, now, no, again. Raise your hand, we need to talk. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to, two hands there. I'm going to be a little slow again here, okay, because back about eight years ago, Aberdeen did a study where they said that there's an acknowledgement by CFOs that there is huge risk within their organizations, but those very same CFOs said, we're not doing enough to deal with that risk. So here we are now, number of years later, and we haven't made any progression in that particular point, or not as much as we should. Jeff, okay. We all do conflict minerals, right? We all do auditing and we sign statements and we say we're going to do it. How many people are 100% sure there's no conflict minerals in that stuff once it's smelted together? How many people with 100% certainty would raise their hand and say, we do, we do say we're compliance monitoring, but we're 100% we're, we're sure. We know we don't have any conflict minerals. Obviously, no hands. So this, okay, but this brings us back full circle again in all of this. Like, for, for example, coming into this session, like, what was one of the main motivations for, for sitting in on this session? Just to listen about the evolution of where we've been and where we're going. Okay, evolution. Now, you're getting an insight where we're going, right? Getting some ideas. Yeah, yeah. Do you have the power to do something with it? See, this is somebody's got to take ownership. I mean, and I'm talking from an outsider perspective here. So I could be way off base. But if you know there's a problem, if you know there's a risk, somebody's got to be responsible for it. And if, it's, if, if you're going to be held responsible after the fact, which isn't exactly fair, how do you get ahead of that risk within your organization? Do you have within your organization the capability of somebody who would listen? What do you think? No idea. Okay. 
there in itself is an element noteworthy. How about, how about you? Anyone would listen to you if you said we got the risk or? Yes, uh, we're working on it right now. Okay. Our corporate office has come down and said, you guys will work on this, so we are developing a plan. What was the trigger for that? You know, I don't know. It came out of Japan. They just showed up one day and said, hey, this is something we're going to be focusing on. <laughs> so we said, okay. Oh, okay. Sorry, what, what was that? So, so I, I work with CBRE. We work with GRMS pretty closely. I, th I think you, fundamentally the, the big thing is, right, it's, it's all gray. And, and you're right. Like our chief risk officer literally says, you know, I stay up at night thinking about this. And I'm like, well, that is your job, right? I mean, but, but he has no solution for it. It just it has to you have to kind of connect the dots cross-functionally between finance, between supply chain, between risk, between legal and have this kind of constant conversation about, you know, these are the risks that are emerging. And there's no black and white. You're going to have to make business decisions. I guarantee we are doing business with people that are way riskier than we have any business doing business with. But we have to. We have to fulfill our clients. Okay, needs. let me ask you this. Like Abdul Latif and yourself doing this, I mean, who took the ownership for it? We did. So supply chain took the ownership for it. And, and we took it in a couple different stances. So first of all, we, we said to our risk officer, We'll, we'll quantify it, right? We'll, we'll quantify the risk. And uh, it's been a journey, and we're still working on it. Uh, it's, it's much trickier as you get outside the United States because the target moves. But you've got to start someplace. And, and once it, it's like everything else. Once it gets mass, uh, then, then it'll go. So. And, and, and not mandated to mandated. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, you got it. It's a journey. What do you mean non-mandated to mandated? Yeah. Realized the liability. Their pain point was the COIs, is facility management, and having all of these landscapers, window cleaners. Think about this, people. Everyone that works with CV is screened. It doesn't matter if you clean the carpet; you are screened. Yeah, and so so where we where we started, we kind of picked you know a couple little spots where we had clients who were were really keen on supplier screening, right? And we took advantage of that to kind of build momentum. Now last year we made a big change. So we have 152 clients. Uh, within Global Workplace Solutions. Last year, we, we took all of our insurance requirements, which varied client by client, and we condensed them to the greatest extent possible so that they now apply across all. So instead of screening a supplier 152 times, we're doing it once and they're eligible to work everywhere. Uh, you know, our leadership sees the benefit in that. They see the reduction in administrative you know, cost on both sides. They see you know, insight into, into risk management, and now, you know, we've got our our, uh, our regional CEO in the Americas. It, it's it's a mandate. It's developed into a mandate. You know, with, with some exceptions, but but a, pr a pretty hard mandate. And uh, it took them some time to get there. But the point is, in this program, they started at a certain level. It kept evolving, and we kept adding things to the program that became important. Whether if you say diversity is important, are you taking credit for diverse companies that you've never even bothered to check if they're even diverse? That's not a, that's a social responsibility right. point, but you're doing it today. Everyone's doing it because no one's checking. So those, again, are things that are wrapped in. CB started with this, the board level understood the liability of the, the insurance issues, and procurement took responsibility, because this is a classic example, you're absolutely right, and then grew the program, and now it is mandated. Okay, I got to ask this, and Abdul, this will be to you, but to everybody else. Your progression, your progression individualized, isolate it. Is there a way to make that scalable? I mean, how many here aren't doing something? And this is what I'm trying to understand about because there's a recognition that something has to be done. Aren't doing something because there isn't what's known as a scalable plan or a strategy or a path that you can follow. So we've started doing it um, probably in the last six months um, at our company. Um, but we have a problem in that it hasn't been done for the last 20 years, and there's something like 20,000 suppliers that have just been building up over the years, you know, because everybody's just sort of been making their own decisions. Um, you know, I once read somewhere where they said people who are seriously in debt get to the point of saying, I'm never going to get out of debt, so I'm not going to implement a austerity program. I mean, that's, is that like... Right, we, so we can start doing things going forward, but in terms of boiling the ocean for risk assessments for our existing base, it's pretty difficult. Can I throw a statistic out? Because again, uh, I mean, a lot of this I can speak to because I've dealt with so many companies around the world. 
statistically, you have two sets of, of, of suppliers. You have your legacy suppliers, your existing, your 20,000, and then you have future suppliers. So how do you fix it? Well, let's go to legacy first. That's usually where we start. So a company give us a list and they'll say, okay, we have a ERP flat file of 100,000 companies, 100,000 lines. And then their question always is, how many unique suppliers do we have? And it's somewhere between 30 to 40% of the total number. So in this case, it'd be between 30 to 40, about 30 to 40% around, okay? Of that, we roll out a program, of that statistically, 50%, so 10,000 a year case, would enroll in the first 30 days, which you think is amazing, but we know how to enroll them. We know how to engage them, we know how to get them going in the process. So 10,000 will start right in the first 30 days. The next 10,000 is dependent on the client's stance. The client says they're required to go through, you get a very high compliance, all of CBRE. If you get a, you should do this, you get a very low compliance. Why? Because suppliers aren't stupid. They know we're going to find out something about them and we're going to report it to you. It could be a bankruptcy. It could be a lien. It could be something. They don't want you to know. So they're going to stall as long as you don't push them. There has to be a ramification for not going through the screening program or why even start it. So now that's the legacy. The go forward, the future ones, the way you fix it is you simply put a line on your PO or in T's and C's. In order to do business with us, you need to go through our screening program. Here's the website page. It'll give the instructions. And on our platform, what happens is it explains the benefits of the program to the supplier so they feel like they're getting something out of it. And then it walks them through the process. Are you global? You know, where are you in the world? And it just kind of walks them through what kind of a supplier are you. And it also allows you to collect all sorts of information. You're pointing at the sustainability and such. And, all of those questions you have to ask in the front end because you want all that information in the Zykus platform or whatever platform you use. You want all the information about the suppliers. Don't lean on the ERP system. Put it into the P2P system, but gather it during the supplier screening program. Gather it on the front end. You now have helped your company accomplish diversity and a variety of other tasks all in one fell swoop. So does this give an idea, and going there, that's, of course, assuming you want to find out, because it was an interesting point you just made. How many suppliers aren't in compliance? And then the other side of that coin is, what's the cost to replace those suppliers if they're not in compliance or bring them to compliant? And that goes to your earlier point. Is it worthwhile having them there because the cost of getting a new supplier to replace them is, 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 is too high? And so we're going to go with that risk until we get caught? Well, the, the other thing you can have is an incident which automatically gets management focused on fix this, get the risk, I'm, I never want to go through this again. So if you have a plant blow up or someone just uh, shut down or go out of business, you, you get management's attention pretty quick. Yeah. And it depends on the supplier itself. Um, you against the supplier. If the supplier has, you know, the, the, the performance of the supplier or the products and services that they're providing, it's of high risk to you that you need the supplier so you will even invest into the supplier to, to come to compliance. So you can partner with the supplier depending on where they are and which coordinates of the, of the procurement they are in and where do you want to move them. So that gives an interesting point, maybe going to yourself. If you find out that they're not in compliance, the general thinking, how many would think, well, we can't deal with this supplier, we're going to drop them. How many think about the process of saying, well, we can work with them to become compliant? I mean, is that a viable option? Yeah, and that's, again, that's, that's a really key point. Again, this is, again, data source versus service. I'm going to keep coming back to it because you guys got to understand that's the basic fundamental start of this whole program. In a service, and you have to ask whomever you decide to partner with, how do you handle the non-compliant suppliers? And the answer is they should be able to call the help desk, not you. In our case, we have them call us. And the 90% failure rate, we compress it because our help, our help desk, half our help desk are insurance agents that actually help them to get into compliance. They came out of the insurance industry to help solve problems. And so we hire them because they understand the COIs and what's supposed to be on them. So the point is, if they, I'll give you two scenarios. One, they're non-compliant. They call us and go, what do I need to do to get compliant? We get those calls literally every day from around the world. The second point they'll say is, wait a minute, that's not, my, that's not me on that OFAC list. That's not my company on blank. How do I solve it? Now think about that for a second. If you ended up in that getting caught up in that company I mentioned earlier with 80,000 suppliers and you're one of those 7,000, you're about to get kicked out because you're supposedly on the list, but it's not your company. What do you, the supplier, do? Because your client's going to kick you out. And the answer is because the data source, there's no place to go. And that's why we built a, a help center so they can call us. We call it the solution center. They call us and say, where did this come from? How can I solve it? And we'll actually tell them so that they don't feel like they've been thrown out for no reason. If it's them, 
they got a bigger problem, but that aside for a second, you know, at least we give them the hope of saying this is where you can solve this issue. So again, the service versus data source is a big, big difference. So when you're looking at options, it becomes very expensive to do it internally, and that's the reason a lot of companies are now outsourcing it. You know, even Walmart called us and said, we got problems with FCPA requirements. And they said, you know, we'd rather have you take the blame, basically, than us. That's <laughs> what he's saying. But the idea would be, you know, you're going to have to figure out a solution. And that's why you're here today. But you have to do something. So let me ask you this. First of all, any questions from what you've heard? Disagreement? Agree with it? Does it make sense? What are your thoughts with what you've heard? No, actually, it makes all sense. Okay. Absolutely. So what can you do with this information? What will you do with this information? See, I always come back to doing it because you look at solving a problem. What do you do with this information? You work with your, uh, if you have a risk department, you can work with your risk department and try to start off, I mean, you start off small, keep it simple, and, and move forward from there, I think. You can't, you can't do everybody at once, but you can uh, tackle 30 suppliers and then add more and, and build a program from there. Isn't that the way you started at the back there? Little step at a time, gaining traction, yeah. and sort of it's like a proof of concept to a certain degree, isn't it? Yeah, ab absolutely. And I think you know, to the point, it's like we, we got insurance fixed, and then as we start widening it out, you start taking on other risks, and you start discovering, like like one of the big things is it, like insurance is we've never we've never had a loss we couldn't subrogate. So uh, there by the grace of God, right? But but we have had other things we've committed acts that we've been, you know, investigated by the Justice Department. We've certainly hired, you know, suppliers around the world who've engaged in modern slavery, right? And increasingly, if you trip one of these things, it's going to cost a fortune. And I think what these guys said, now, now that, now you're on the front page, now you're paying $60 million, and now you'll fix it. So. Now, is it a safe bet to say is once you trip up one of those things, you yourself get on a list? to a certain degree so that it, it, people become more aware of, you have less leeway and less flexibility. D does your risk of getting found again as a company, company increase? It's destroy your business. I mean, you have one risk, you have kids chained to desk, you know, um, you have a supplier that you're dealing with in Asia that gives it to another supplier and you don't know about it. You've got huge risks. I think one of the things you have to do is classify the risk. So is it a financial insurance risk? Is it a social responsibility risk? Is it a performance risk where a company's going to shut down? And I think you have to look at what, what type of risk is it and which one do you want to attack first. Yeah, and, it's reputational risk, too. Yeah. Look, look at lumber liquidators, what yeah. happened in China last year. I mean, that was a, just a stupid error oversight. They didn't pay attention, and they're trying to recover. It's going to cost them a fortune to get out of that, too. And it was dumb. Or, or what's the Mexican restaurant that had only uh, listeria and stuff? Uh, uh, Chipotle. Chipotle. Yeah, Chipotle. I mean, look, at, they had one supply chain failure, and they, I don't know if they'll recover. Is the horse meat scandal another example? That's another one, England, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So it's reputational, too. It's not just financial. But, if, you know, again, if you're a procurement, and I sat in your seat, if you end up doing something and you stub your toe, Trust me, they know where you work. <laughs> they will find you because somewhere you wrote that contract. And I realize that now, looking back 20 years, I was doing exactly the same thing. I just collect the COI, W9, off I go. And I signed a $10 million contract without thinking twice. But now I realize that there was a, a, a limit to that uh, knowledge that we're making a business decision on. But in today's world, fast forward 20 years now, you have a different situation. And unfortunately, you have many more laws you have to deal with and watch lists and such. They didn't exist 20 years ago. Okay, how are we doing for time, by the way? Okay, so any questions? Any questions for our panel? Anything that you, you, you've heard today you want further clarification on? Anything at all? Or final thoughts or opinions? We're looking at uh, you know, one, one of the things that we've done three years ago. It was that we requalified all of our suppliers. We came back to the drawing and we, we put all the supplies. We, ha we had 5,000. We eliminated 3,000 of them, yeah. or 2,200. Of course, we looked at there were so many suppliers that were listed that were inactive. We're not spending much for them, so we took them out. Uh, and the second step, the proactive uh, step that we took, we pre-qualified every supplier before bringing them in into the, the, the RFP, into the tender. So you pre-qualify your suppliers. Find out that they're compliant before you send them the tender documents. Yeah. 
And, and, and that's the reason you need to do it once a year. That's exactly the reason. Because if they move, you don't have a current W-9 anymore. You have to collect a new COI every year. There's things that you're going to have to do, which is why you, you cannot sign it once and let it go. It has to be an annual review of every one of your suppliers. And if you have 20,000, that's going to take a little bit of time. And they have to so, documents up. Yeah. All yeah. the documents have to be up to date. Yeah, you might want a code of ethics signed. You might want a safety document signed. You might want whatever you need signed. Get it on the front end because that's how you protect yourself. But doesn't that go back to the adjudication part of it well, and verification? And here, okay, actually you brought up another point, sorry. Um, in a lot of the platforms, understand, we have platforms that are out there. I'm going to speak out of school here a little bit. But every platform is built the same way. In other words, ERP or P2P platforms are built that they say you can upload a document. You can upload a COI W9. Understand what that means. There's no human eyes on that document. I could upload a picture of my dog, and they would think it's a COI. Okay, that's just the way it works. That's, again, the difference, why you need the service aspect of it. You need human intervention. With a 90-plus percent failure rate on your COIs today, think about what the liability rests with, and it's yours because you signed the contract. So at the end of the day, yeah, legal said you're supposed to have this insurance, and you said, yes, we have it. Do you know what additional insured is? Do you know what the E&O is? Do you understand what you're looking at? That's the question. So. All right. Thank you. Sorry, one question at the back. Okay. Um, when we started our program, to his point, we had one of our sourcing managers that would not do the program. She said, I collect every COI and look at it, and I don't need that program. And I said, well, give me 10, and let's see how they go through the, the screening. So we gave them 10. They looked at them. Every one of them failed. So. Yeah. It's true. And people think they're covered. And if, if I can help anybody, I mean, yes, I represent my company, but if you want my card, I'll be glad to give you my card. This is stuff that we do, I do it off the top of my head, so I can give you some advice if you'd like to. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. And again, all three are available. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.